Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Just Some Magic podcast, where we share people's most magical moments from theme parks like Disney and Universal and share them all with you. We also have a listener's stories at the very end, so be sure to stick around for that. Our guest today is Brian Collins, who is a former Imagineer that happened to work on some awesome Disney rides in Florida, such as the Great Movie Ride and Jungle Cruise. Brian will share with us his career working for the Walt Disney World Company and also tons of magical moments from meeting legendary Imagineers like Rolly Crump and Mark Davis to getting to see stuff that normal guests don't get to see every day. I hope you enjoy. Everybody, welcome to the Just Some Magic podcast. Today we have a very, very, very special guest. I am so excited to interview him. Today we have Brian Collins, a former Imagineer. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you, Morgan. It's great to be here. We're so excited to have you. I've always admired Imagineers, even as like a young kid, and wanted to be one and pursued a degree in graphic design. So I'm very much like looking forward to this interview. I'll let you take it away and share a little bit of your background and history and what you've done with Disney and then outside of Disney and just kind of give the audience a little bit background about yourself. Okay. How much time do you have, boy? Because <laughs> I, I might not shut up. Um, so... It all started way back when. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The very first time I ever went to Disney, um, so I'm going to really kind of age myself. And, and um, The very first time I went to Walt Disney World, I was a little kid, and it was in 1972. So it was um, not even – the park hadn't even been open a full year at, at that point. What kid, you know, doesn't walk into Walt Disney World, go down Main Street, see that big, beautiful Cinderella castle and think – boy, wouldn't it be cool to be like one of the folks who thinks up this stuff? And, you know, that that's kind of all it was. You know, the amazement of a little kid being in Disney World for the first time. And over the years, I'd gone back to Disney World uh, with my family and friends and stuff. Growing up, growing up in uh, South Florida, it wasn't that far to go. And it wasn't until after I graduated school and actually, when I say school, I'm talking about college at that point, that I really thought about wanting to maybe explore working for, for Disney, not necessarily Imagineering, because, you know, certainly I, I knew who the Imagineers were and what Imagineering was, but I never imagined it was something that would be within my reach. I, I uh, moved up to Orlando uh, about a year or so after I graduated got a job at Disney. I thought for sure, you know, they have the big, you know, the keys to the executive office just waiting for me because <laughs> um, I had a whole year of experience, you know, wow. <laughs> and um, they were like, not so quick. And they when, when I got hired in, they actually hired me to work at the front desk of the Contemporary Resort. And that's where I began my Disney career. And, you know, Steve Jobs was always very, you know, had a famous saying that, you can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. And that was certainly the case because 
I'm like wondering, you know, why couldn't get a job in my field? I, I had been working as a video producer down in Miami, and, and now all of a sudden I'm checking in guests at, at the front desk of a hotel. Why can't I get, get a job at Disney doing what I love to do? And as it turned out, though, it was probably the best way to start my Disney career because it was at the Contemporary Resort where I learned, you know, how Disney delivers guest service. I learned how um, they do their internal training. I learned about the corporate culture and networking and all those things that were just so important for me and, and served me well as I moved on in my Disney career. And fortunately, my timing w- was pretty good because, because it was only a few months before the um, back then Disney MGM Studios, not now the Hollywood Studios, but it was only a few months b- before the studios opened up. And within about three months or so, I was able to start networking in the company and get out from behind the front desk and start working as a production assistant on the back lot at the Disney MGM Studios. Because back then, you know, the studios were actually a working studio and, and there was a lot of really cool production going on. So I got to work as a production assistant. I got to work as a writer for the company uh, newspaper Eyes and Ears. I produced some internal videos. I, you know, networked and worked with the marketing department during some of the amazing grand openings of like Star Tours and uh, The Wonders of Life, which is no longer there, unfortunately, the Beach and Yacht Club. So all these fantastic resorts and properties that were opening up. Then at one point, went to visit with my HR person is someone I knew and she, she, uh, was, was very helpful for to me. And I, you know, I, I said, I, I think it'd be really kind of interesting to work for Imagineering. You think there might be anything there? And she's like, well, you and a million other people, but here's, <laughs> here, here's the name of the uh, creative director out there. Why don't you go look him up and, and see if he'll, you know, give you a meet and greet and, and talk to you. So that's what I did. And he gave me a little assignment, which was to rewrite one of the scripts for one of the attractions, which was the tour of the animation studios. Because again, back then in Orlando at the studios, they had a working animation studio and, and the animators there were creating and contributing to all of the second wave of Disney classics, starting with The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Mulan and all these wonderful films. So they would give guests a tour of the animation studio. They could look in and see, see, see the guys working and the women working and, and the ink and paint department and all that stuff. This was before they obviously went to full computer animation. So he gave me the script and he said, you know, we're, we're just, it just isn't popping for us. See what you can do with it. So I took it home and brought it back, you know, a few days later. I guess he liked it because that script actually turned out to be the very first script I wrote as an Imagineer because they wound up using it. Oh, and wow. um, he said, okay, we're going to give you a shot. I actually got my Imagineering name tag. That was, you know, I won't lie and tell you that. I didn't tear up a little bit. That was like just something beyond what I could have ever imagined. That's kind of where it started and and wound up doing some amazing projects out there. That is pretty much, yeah, that's an awesome history at Disney. (laughs) I'm still just like in shock and awe of everything. And uh, you've worked on MGM, you've worked a little bit in Jungle Cruise and the the 
Albert Awall, is that how you say his name? Yeah. Yeah, Albert Awall. Yeah. yeah. I, I helped at one point. We were creating the immersive queue area for the Jungle Cruise. It used to just be ropes and stanchions, and that was it. And the Jungle Cruise queue was actually one of the very first queues that Disney ever really kind of themed out. Now it's it's pretty much standard in the entire industry to do that. Mm-hmm. But back then it was kind of a new thing. We're theming out the Jungle Cruise queue. And, and I'll tell you kind of like a, a neat little side story is that I remember the um, uh, show set designer who was working on the queue area, the design of the queue area. She came around the, the office and, and she said, you know, if any of you guys have any like interesting exotic like props or anything that you think might fit in within the, the Jungle Cruise queue, you know, give them to me and we'll see if maybe we can fit them in if, if they work. At the time, um, you know, my, my dad w- was uh, still alive and I went to him and, and uh, you know, I I said, Dad, I remember you used to have these really cool. He, my dad was a pipe, a pipe smoker, um, <laughs> and so I remember he had these really cool, like all kinds of really cool, like different pipes and stuff. And, and he gave me a half dozen or so of his old pipes that were just have like faces carved in them, or were just oh, really cool. kind of exotic looking. And gave them to her. And, and somewhere in, in the Jungle Cruise queue, I think my uh, dad's pipes are, are in there. So it's just a little heartwarming little thing, you know, for me to, to kind of know that, you know, he, he's in there somewhere. Yeah. And was that Disneyland or Disney World? This is a or Disney both? World. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Now I'm going to be on the hunt for that next time I'm there. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, that's at Disney World. Yeah. And uh, oh yeah, so, but... But part of that whole refurbishment was creating the Albert Awall radio broadcast. And um, that was so much fun. You know, it's, if you've ever stood in line, whether in California or Florida or wherever, um, it's like this 19, maybe 20s, 30s, 40s kind of sounding radio broadcast um, mm-hmm. that takes place in the Jungle Outpost in um, I remember my boss and I, you know, we both have the same very punny kind of humor and mm-hmm. just had a lot of fun coming up with different kind of jokes and things to write into that script. So I actually um, have um, a few of them here. I picked some of my favorites. I actually, <laughs> I've heard them before and I like chuckled at them while waiting in line. But then I actually like went and looked up them once I found out you did that. And here's just like one or two of my favorites. All skippers in training are required to wear a leopard hat band. So travelers at dockside will know not to board your boat. And my friend, who actually recently was a Jungle Cruise skipper at her Disney College program, I went and looked on her Instagram and I'm like, wait, all of you guys are wearing leopard right. hat bands. <laughs> right. <laughs> I thought that was so clever. And then my second favorite one, may I have your attention, please? If anyone has located a large uncut diamond weighing approximately 16 carats, please return it to the lost and found area. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> like that yeah. is hilarious. Like, yeah. That is so clever. And yeah, the, the we list just love, you know, I think one of my favorite ones was um, you don't need to take any money with you on the Jungle Cruise because mm-hmm. there are plenty of banks along the river. Ah. But, uh, <laughs> you know. I love it. They're so fun. I would love to ask you um, just some fun questions to get to know you even more. The question I ask every single person guest on here is a very simple one, but very deep. 
Why do you love Disney? <laughs> you know, again, I think it just kind of goes back to that first time you walk into the theme park. I mean, you know, I'm of the generation that grew up watching the wonderful world of Disney on TV and, and watching Walt, you know, would come out and introduce each segment. And then, you know, there'd be this really kind of cool show to follow. I think the thing that got me really enamored with Imagineering is at one point in 19... It must have been probably around 1971, shortly before the parks opened. My parents had to be up in Orlando, and they stopped by, at the time, what was the Walt Disney World Preview Center. It was before the parks were open. And if you're familiar with the Orlando properties, it actually was located in what is now the um, headquarters of the AAU, uh, American Athletic Union, has their offices. It's this little single-story building with a green roof, and it's along what we call Hotel Boulevard, which is where all the the Disney, uh, not the Disney, but all the partner hotels are as you're driving up towards Disney Springs. Um, But anyway, there's, you'll see the AAU has their headquarters there. That was actually the preview center for Walt Disney World before it opened, and you could go in there, and they had the first Disney, Walt Disney World ambassadors that would kind of show you a model and tell you about what this Walt Disney World thing was that they were building and all of that. So my parents went there and they visited. And one of the things they brought back was a little souvenir book that you could buy, like a picture book that told about the development of Walt Disney World in Florida. And it had all these just amazing pictures. I remember my brother and I would look through this notebook and it had these pictures of all these you know, amazing people working on these like witches and elephants and, you know, all, you know, obviously we didn't know Imagineers back then, but, but that's who they were. And I think that's what first kind of captured my imagination from that point forward. You know, I think Disney always kind of had this kind of like special little place in, in, in my heart. That's so cool that they had the preview center to tease what's to come. I love that. Uh, Which parks have you been to? Obviously, all of the Florida parks, Mm -hmm. for sure. I've been to Disneyland in California, and that's pretty much it. Uh, Any plans to go to uh, any of the international parks in the future? You know, I would love to. When I was in Imagineering, they were building Euro Disney. I I think now it's Disneyland Paris, but at the time we called it, it'll always be Euro Disney to me. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the things I got to do, I took a trip shortly after I was hired. They sent me out to Imagineering's headquarters in Glendale. When I was out there, they were giving me a tour and taking me into all these, you know, really cool, amazing places. And I was like, am I really, you know, here seeing this stuff? Because they were like, I got to see them hand painting the stretch room portraits for Phantom Manor. I got to see them programming one of the sword fighting pirates that's in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean over there. So I got to see all this like really cool stuff that was being created for that park over there. And it was really just something else. And and certainly as the years have gone on, I mean, I now write a column for WDW magazine. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to stay on top between that and, you know, like I said, teaching courses or giving tours of the parks or whatever it may be. I'm still very active in, in, in the industry as a whole, um, mm-hmm. even through my work, you know, to be able to go out and see and appreciate really, you know, like Hong Kong or Singapore or some of these other international parks would be fantastic. I'm hoping. 
You know, they're on my bucket list. Yeah. (laughs) Mine too. Mine too. I've only been out to uh, Tokyo um, last year, actually. And I'm thankful I went last year before everything shut down. So yeah, that is so cool. Let's go. Yes, let's do it. (laughs) So I love this question so very much. So not necessarily your favorite Disney character, but what character do you most identify with? That's the most similar to you. That's an easy, easy one. Um, Figment. Okay. Oh my gosh. Explain why. So for those of you who, you know, know Journey into Imagination here in Orlando at Epcot, Figment is our little purple dinosaur friend, Mm -hmm. Figment of our imagination. I think he just embodies everything, you know, a a lot of my traits and personalities that kid-like curiosity and creativity and innovation and certainly being a little bit unusual and, and you know enchanting he's just just a wonderful character as a matter of fact that the the name of my column is figments of my imagineering and, and i've got a little caricature of myself with figment on my shoulder uh, that i use that is so clever so, yeah <laughs> I know not everybody likes Journey to Imagination, but that was actually one of my favorites as a child. Um, I do miss the old version. Right. Yeah, (laughs) So that's so awesome that you love him. Okay. So which retired Disney attraction would you love to go on, whether you've already been on it or not? Gosh, there are so many. Um, You know, I will say like the old Wonders of Life Pavilion was fantastic and there was a show in there i loved called cranium command but it was a fantastic attraction cranium command and then horizons is another fantastic pavilion that had a great ride in it those two i probably miss the most and and that's probably not fair because those are like entire pavilions but cranium command is a show i really enjoyed just very well done Basically, it took you inside the brain of like a teenager, took him through your day and, and showed you why, you know, what happens to di- talk about your different emotions and, and how your brain processes those and everything. Very fun attraction. Thank you so much for answering all of those questions and getting to know a little bit more about you and all of Disney. Um, But I will let you take it away and share your magic. My gosh, there are so many really cool stories. Um, You know, I think one of the people ask me, you know, a lot like if one moment stand out for me as an Imagineer. Certainly, you know, when I got my name tag, that was a big one. But I think one of the coolest moments is an Imagineer that I had that that's a very cool Disney moment was at one point I was asked to plus the great movie ride um, to go in and work on the scripting and the staging and probably spent a couple months doing that, uh, working very hard to kind of enhance that attraction and improve the show. And I remember, you know, the first time I got to kind of take off my name tag, got to go into the park as a tourist um, and just kind of like blend in and ride the attraction and kind of experience it with the other guests and kind of, you know, see their reactions to the work I had done was um, just really kind of a cool, special thing. And I would tell you that as Imagineers, that's something that we all really kind of enjoy doing is like getting out into the park kind of incognito and kind of blending in with the guests and, and, you know, just 
kind of hoping that the work that we're doing is giving the kind of love back to to our fans, you know, and, and our guests that we hope it is. So, so that was that was pretty cool. You know, other than that, you know, I mean, there's just some little personal kind of stories that, you know, maybe mean something more to me. But I remember, like, after I got hired into at, at Disney, this was even before I became an Imagineer, but I had a picture from, uh, you know, again, from my very first visit at Disney. And there I am as a little kid on Main Street with this big floppy hat with a big feather sticking out of it and bell bottoms <laughs> and, you know, probably all of about 10 years old, getting my picture taken with Goofy. So I had Goofy next to me. And one of the first things I did after I got hired from Disney was go track down Goofy and I got a picture taken with him. And I kept those two pictures side by side in my office, you know, the, the whole time I worked there. I just thought that was you know, a nod to my childhood. Some people might argue I've never outgrown. There was one other time I did, and, and that was after I became an Imagineer. I got a picture with Goofy um, on the back lot. Um, so I had kind of like three of them, but... You know, Goofy, you know, whenever I see him in the parks, you know, he and I are buds, you know, try try and grab a picture with him. Is there any other fun stories you may have or cherish? Boy, do I have stories. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, how much time do you have? You know, I remember people ask me, like, what were some of, like, the more unusual jobs that you had? And, you know, working in Imagineering, unusual is not unusual. <laughs> I remember one time, and this was one of my very first um, assignments, actually. So it was, I kind of like chuckled when I got it. But my boss calls me and said, you know, we're going to be doing some construction on the back lot. And back then, this is again when the studios were actually, they were doing production there. And they had the New York Street back lot, which now obviously is all gone. Unfortunately, it's been taken over by Galaxy's Edge and, and Toy Story Land. So they were doing um, some construction there, and it was real construction. And they had to put some barricades up, construction barricades that were going to be in, in the guest view. And of course, you know, being Imagineers, you can't just put construction barricades up in the middle of the park without us wanting to mess with them. So my boss said, I want you to uh, come up with some family-friendly graffiti uh, that we can put uh, on the barricades to make it look like, you know, they're, you know, actually real barricades because real barricades would have graffiti on them. And I asked him, well, sure. I said, but what's family-friendly graffiti? And he's like, I don't know. You got to figure that out. And, oh, no. and so that was one of my first jobs. And, you know, so I came up with a couple of different things that they put on them. One of them was... Uh, because it was kind of by like a little Chinatown um, area on the back lot. So I put some Chinese characters on there uh, as graffiti. And if you knew how to read Chinese, they said, Mickey loves Minnie. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually, I remember I went to uh, Epcot because I didn't know how to write Chinese and I wasn't going to trust Google Translate. So uh -huh. I went out to Epcot to the uh, China Pavilion and I asked some of the, uh, you know, the, the ambassadors out there, the, the cast members from, from China, I said, you know, this is going to sound like really kind of like a crazy question, but can you write this out for me? And I took it to maybe about three or four different cast members because I wanted, you know, I wanted to make sure that what I was putting out there was actually going to be what I hoped it was. So, so I wanted yeah. to get different versions so I could compare them. And then I took those and I went to other cast members. And I said, hey, 
can you read this for me and tell me what this says? And so, so that's kind of how I confirmed that they weren't, you know, putting something <laughs> undisney like uh, out there. Yeah, um, definitely. It was, but still authentic. Yeah, yeah. But so, so that was kind of like a, a more interesting kind of a project that I worked on. Oh, gosh, there were just so many. I mean, you know, I had the chance to meet a lot of celebrities, you know, just working in the environment. I met a Miss America. I met several sports figures and things like that. I met when, when they uh, were producing the new Mickey Mouse Club, you know, Britney Spears. That was like her first, you know, one of her first breakthroughs was being one of the uh, yeah. new Musketeers. I don't know if you knew that or not. And, and, yeah, I think her um, and like Justin Timberlake. Right, and, Justin Timberlake, uh, right. A couple others. I can't remember off the top of my head, but those two I definitely for sure right. remember. Yeah, and, that is yeah. so cool. You got to meet them got, before they became who they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got memories walking around that set and, you know, just kind of chatting casually and hanging out with them so and you got to meet some disney legends i did john hench was one who i got to meet uh john was an amazing guy uh worked you know hand in hand with walt designing the layout of first disneyland and then guiding a lot of the development of walt disney world in epcot I think even maybe up to the studios, he, he was still working at that point. But a couple times, you know, when John came into town, one time I got to do actually do a walkthrough of the Magic Kingdom with him. And a wow. second time I got to do a walkthrough of Epcot with him. To just be able to kind of do that, I mean, that's, you know, a, certainly a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience in kind of hear from him how and why different John's expertise he was known as being kind of like a color and expert with color and he designed a lot of the color palettes and in the colors that were used on buildings and things like that to just be able to hear from him you know why different color combinations or colors were picked for certain things was really amazing you know one of the things he he explained to me and and actually uh this will be in my next column coming up but the reason that you see so much red on the ground like the red concrete throughout mm -hmm. the theme parks a lot of people there's an urban legend uh or i guess a disney legend that um that red is in the parks because they're rolling out the red carpet for you, which is a beautiful story, uh, but it's not true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, what, what, what John told me is that, you know, he picked red, and this is the kind of thing that would come from an animator's or an artist's brain. You know, John, John actually was an animator before he, he was an Imagineer. He worked on a lot of the Disney um, classics you know, as an animator. And so what he explained to me is that he, he uh, used red on the ground a lot because um, if you understand color theory and the color wheel, the opposite color from red is green. And when you put those two colors next to each other, they make each other pop and stand out more. So yeah. by putting red on the ground, um, it made all of like the green trees and shrubbery and grass and all of that pop out and look richer and greener. That um, is so clever. Yeah. Like I, I have an art background. I'm like, oh yeah, the complementary color is gr or green to red. And right. that totally makes sense. And like the fact that he thought that deeply right. about what color the ground should be or the red. And that is crazy. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'll, I'll tell you another one that 
as an artist, you'll appreciate is with the American Adventure. So the American Adventure is designed to look like a three-story building. In actuality, it's only two stories. But um, mm-hmm. we've all heard the to- term force perspective that Disney uses, right? And yes. in this case, one of the ways that they achieved force perspective on the American Adventure facade was to use three or four different shades of white paint that got very subtle, but, but they got a little bit darker as you got higher up off the ground. You know, if you're making a painting and you put bright colors in the front and then darker, more subtle colors in the back, yeah. in the back, then that's going to make those background things look further away, Right. So that's the same theory he used for the American Adventure by making it a little bit darker as you got higher up on the facade, it made the building look higher and a little bit further. And they do that all throughout the park too, right? Like on the castle and everything. And There's so many cool techniques and theories, color theories and building techniques and things like that, that would blow you away that, that most people don't think about and, You know, I love walking people through the parks and and kind of like pointing that stuff out because it kind of gives you just a very different, unique way of Mm -hmm. experiencing and looking at the parks than maybe you would have before. Yeah, and you appreciate it so much more. But but one thing I can tell you about the castle that I always get a lot of ah ahas from people about, um, Mm -hmm. especially now that they've repainted. Uh, Cinderella Castle. So it used to all be kind of like these shades of grays and blues. And Mm -hmm. if you've seen how they've repainted it now, the center part of it is uh, kind of like a pinkish with a lot of gold. So they made it a lot more fairy tale light. It took a lot of people getting used to, but one of the things they did was they didn't repaint the bottom part of the castle. And the reason they didn't do that is a lot of people, when they look at Cinderella Castle in the Magic Kingdom is that they tend, especially in, in the past, they tended to look at it as one big, huge structure. And the intention is that the now, especially when you look at it, you understand that the gray part at the bottom, those are actually like what would be the outer walls of the castle. And the pink part is, you know, inside those outer walls where the actual castle resides. So it kind of helps separate the two buildings, if you will, from each other a little bit more. I'm, I pulled up a picture of the new paint job right now, and I'm looking yeah. at it, and I'm like, I totally see it. Like the aha moment, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, when um, I, I had, a, again, a couple chances to meet some other legends, um, Raleigh Crump was one of them. Um, Raleigh, fantastic guy. I mean, you know, the nicest guy. The thing I remember about Raleigh was that he had a big smile, you know, that could just mm-hmm. light up a room. Actually, when I was working at WDI in here in Florida, um, his son, Chris Crump, actually followed in dad's footsteps. And, and Chris was an Imagineer in his own right. So Raleigh had come into town one time and was visiting his son. It was very apparent, you know, he, that the two of them were, were close and, and all of that was was very cool. And and all of the, the Imagineers that would come into town were just so giving of their time, you know, and just really like talking to the next generations uh, of Imagineers that, you know, were coming up behind them to kind of share their stories and techniques and all of that. But probably one of the most special encounters I had with, with one of 
the legends was again during that trip when I went out to California to Glendale and I was out there for about a week and I remember the first day I walked in and you know got into the offices and checked in with, with the receptionist and as I was checking in I noticed in the lobby there was a display of some drawings you know stuff up on like um, easels and, and poster boards and stuff uh, mm-hmm. but I couldn't really tell what it was and I'm thinking you know well I'll just uh, I'll check it out you know over the next few days and, and see what that was and I never got a chance and finally you know the last day came and I was on my way out of the offices I was getting ready to head out towards the airport and I said to myself you know I'm just gonna take some time and go check this out and, and see what this display is. So I went over there and it was all these displays of original drawings from like conceptual drawings and things like that from the uh, Jungle Cruise, the Haunted Mansion, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And there were probably about three or four rows of these drawings, you know, on boards. So I'm sitting there going around, checking them out, and uh, go around the corner, you know, the backside to, to check out you know, some more of the drawings. And there was an older gentleman standing there with his back to me with his wife, just in there admiring them. And he turned around and he looked at me, he goes, so, so what do you think about this stuff? And I about dropped my teeth because the gentleman was actually Mark Davis himself. <gasps> and these were his original drawings. Um, and he was there with his wife, Alice Davis, who is another Disney legend in her own right. But Mark, you know, th- these were his drawings, and he had just stopped by to check him out. He probably hadn't seen him for years because they were tucked away in the archives or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure I said something like, you know, they're pretty good, Mark. <laughs> they're okay. <laughs> and uh, I remember we both had like a little chuckle and, and you know, uh, just a very, 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 very brief kind of a conversation kind of a thing. It, it was, you know, he got a kick out of it. It was, it was very special for me. And, uh, to say the least as well. Yeah, to actually, you know, get to meet Mark in Imagineering headquarters as an Imagineer myself, looking at these legendary drawings was, you know, again, just one of those moments where you're thinking, man, it's like, is this real? It, it mm-hmm. was very cool. Yeah, imagine telling your yourself at a younger age or when you first thought about wanting to be an Imagineer, knowing that you would eventually run into Mark Davis as yeah. an Imagineer, looking uh, at his stuff, like that is so cool yeah, being able to talk to him like you know as a colleague i love so. it i love it i would love to close it out i think would be fun getting to see the things that the public doesn't see i, I think again you know one of the coolest things about working for imagineering is, is being able to kind of go behind the scenes and lift up that curtain and kind of you know see things that the regular guests don't get to see you know a couple things come to mind i remember so so this was after i was working as an imagineer but like i said i've always had like a downline relationship back to disney and the theme parks and at one point Mm -hmm. i was actually out at the animal kingdom and i was backstage of it's tough to be a bug and i'm walking by this one area and it's like man what's that smell it's like rotten garbage or something and the cast member just is like chuckling he's like come over here let me show you this and he lifts the lid off of this big barrel and it's filled with these tiny little plastic pellets and these were the scent pellets that they use for the stink bug in that show when it gives Uh off that stink bug smell to the audience um so there's this big huge you know bin of these things and i'm thinking man it's like 
<laughs> whoever's got to refill those, you know, that's a bad day at work. Yeah. Um, so oh, that was kind God. of funny. What's another one was, um, I remember I was working out at Epcot one time and it's really cool. Like there's actually a, a side door, obviously it's security controlled that will take you into spaceship earth. When you go through that door, you kind of go up this ramp and through kind of like a zigzag of, of walkways, you're actually walking in between that outer silver skin and the inner oh. part of the attraction where the ride uh, tracks are and stuff. And, you know, there's, it's kind of like a uh, double shell in there. So there's, they actually have mm -hmm. some offices and, and things in there. They've got a lot of the, um, mechanics that run the audio animatronics and things like that but getting to kind of see spaceship earth from the inside out that was uh, a, a really cool experience i i always want to know how things work i've always been that kind of kid and when yeah. i would ride a ride a bunch of times i'd always turn around after and like see like oh that's how they did that effect or turn around like see what i could see from the ride but yeah. spaceship earth i'm like i don't understand how this works like i want yeah. to explore i want to go to all of the backstage areas of that so that is so cool that you got to see that yeah yeah it's, it's pretty neat getting to see the um how the american adventure works it, i mean that oh, is an engineering gosh. marvel because those entire scenes, if you've ever seen the show, you know, they're big scenes with mm -hmm. audio animatronics and each individual scene sits on its own little stage platform and yeah. it is it rises up and down below, you know, below the main stage that the audience can see and goes back and forth. I mean, I mean it's just amazing the engineering um that they use to create that i wish that's something that uh, more people could see because being able to watch that show from from down below and in, in seeing uh -huh. all of that engineering and the stage sets coming in and out and into place and rising up and down is um just remarkable it's not just one or two it's like a ton of yeah. moving suits. I got to do it recently when I was living in Florida. I was by myself. It was a hot day. I could kind of do whatever I wanted. And I was like, you know what? I don't remember this as a kid. I think this was the mom, I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap part. Yeah. And yeah. I did not yeah. appreciate it as much as I, and then I got to do it um, as an adult. And I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. How is this happening? Why did I sleep through this? Like when yeah. I was a kid, like this is so cool. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And then just again, like all of the moving sets and pieces and stuff, it was just so, I, I keep saying cool, but it was amazing. It was really, yeah, really sure. amazing. <laughs> you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, I do a lot of presentations to like, you know, school groups and, and, even professionals and stuff like that on innovation and creativity. And one of the things I talk about is, you know, are like techniques and stuff on how you can improve being creative and, and you know, what some of my keys to, to that are. And one thing I always talk about is the importance of having what I call a very full mental filing cabinet, because oh. I think creative people tend to be, pack rats both physically and, and mentally so you know if you were to look at my desk or my garage or you know any of a number of other places they're just you know i've got stuff scattered around and i'll keep things not knowing necessarily why i'm keeping them or what i want to mm -hmm. keep them for or how they're going to be used but just knowing you know i mean i raised three kids and, and 
you know, they're great kids and now they're all older and either in college or beyond. But when they were young, you know, if one of their toys would break, if I didn't keep the whole toy, I would like take it apart. If there was something that like a light or a blinky thing or something that made sound, I would, you know, take that out and and store it away because I knew I was going to need it and use it. And eventually, like, you know, years later, if I came across it and I threw it out, what happened? You know, it's like the next day is, of course, when I would have needed to use that particular blinky mm-hmm. thing or sound making things <laughs> so so i think we tend to be pack rats like that and i think mentally we do too you know you'll walk through a room and you'll observe the colors on the carpet or the pattern in a painting or you know a smell or whatever it may be and not consciously almost subconsciously consciously i think the best creative people kind of take all that information that our brains are exposed to and our senses are exposed to, and we kind of tuck it away. And I think that's Mm -hmm. like super, super important, you know, for all of us to do is kind of develop these really deep mental filing cabinets because you never know how something's going to kind of come back to serve you in the future. I remember at one point when they were building Splash Mountain, my my boss came to me and he um, said, we want you to create a series of signs. Um, When they were building Splash Mountain, the train cannot make the full ride around the park. It would go up to where Splash Mountain was being constructed. It would let the guests off. And then instead of making the full circle, it would actually go backwards back to the Main Street train station. So it would just Mm -hmm. kind of go up and back all day. And he said, we want you to make a series of signs that the guests can see that kind of explain that. And I was thinking back to there used to be this company called Burma Shave that would put signs up along in the this is going back before I was born uh, I'll clarify that but before like in the 1950s when the United States uh, when the highway system w- was still relatively new this company Burma Shave would it was a shaving product and they would put up these signs that they became very well known for and it was this series of like five signs in a row mm-hmm. separated by, you know, maybe, you know, a quarter mile each. And as you're driving down the highway, you would see they would make up these little rhymes, you know, like if you need to shave in days gone by, buy Burma shave, but keep your eyes on the drive or, or something like that. The, yeah. Just really kind of corny little limerick things. They would end up making like a whole sentence. <laughs> exactly. It would be like a little, almost like a haiku or a, like a little rhyming pun, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So so I thought, well, that might be kind of fun. So so. You know, for some reason, I, I knew about these Burma Shave signs, and, and that was the technique I used to write the Splash Mountain signs, and it was something like, we're building Splash Mountain and ripping up some track, so in case you're wondering, that's why we're going back, ah. you know. <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't know it. if that was exactly, but it was something like that, yeah. and I did a series of those, like, little Burma Shave style signs and it, it, you know it's just kind of a fun way to do it but you know without I, I think having that my brain full of all this random information you know would have been hard to come up with something like that I know you've only been to Disneyland a handful of times, um, but I don't know if you noticed in Cars Land, there's something very similar to that. And I, I pulled up a picture of it and it says on one sign, Mater used it. Another sign, dang near fainted, looked like 
he had just been painted and it's like yeah. over five different signs. Yeah. Did you, did you have anything to do with that? No, they stole <laughs> my idea. I stole tell your you, idea. Those guys. <laughs> well, it was very similar to that. Yeah. Same, same exact idea. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, if you want to tell us where we can find you or take yeah. your Imagineering tour, like if you want to drop that information, we'd love to have it. You know, I'll give a shameless plug or two. <laughs> oh, do it. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So um, a, a couple things. First, you know, I mentioned uh, my monthly column in WDW Magazine. So if you're not a subscriber, my monthly column in there, Figments of My Imagineering, where I talk a little bit about, you know, some kind of a Disney themed column. Uh, but from an Imagineering point of view. So that's one thing I'll put out there. If we have any Facebook fans out there, you can follow me on two of my pages. One of them is called The Mouse and the Imagineer. And if we have any teachers out there, because I have a very passionate educator, I've got a teaching background that I didn't even touch on in, in this interview, but I have a Facebook page called Teachers Who Love Disney or Educators Who Love Disney. So if you uh, look for either of those on Facebook, I'd love to have you guys join and follow me. Um, certainly I'm on LinkedIn. I have a website, wdwithme.com, W-D-W-I-T-H-M-E-W-D-WithMe.com. Please email me, you know, with, with any comments or anything like that. I do offer tours of the theme parks, and I offer also like a dinner with an Imagineer experience as well. So if, if you want to get information and book those, Again, go to wdwithme.com and you can get information about that. I think that's about it. Gosh, this has been really fun, Morgan. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. It's truly been such a treat for me. And next time I'm in Florida, I definitely want to take you up on that tour and sign up for it. And that would be so great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You bet. And you bet. I hope you guys enjoy it. for some listener stories that you the fan sent in if you would like to submit your story to be read on the just some magic podcast please go to justsomemagic.com and click on the share your magic tab a listener's story that was sent in by leanne s my son Bing had a loose tooth, and I told him that if he were to lose his tooth at Disney World, that Tinkerbell would help out the Tooth Fairy, and she would bring this, your tooth a present. It was his first tooth, so he ended up losing it while we were there. I was looking for the glitter to have Pixie Death underneath his pillow. We were staying at Pop Century, and we couldn't find any glitter at the gift shop. So when I went to the front desk at the resort and asked the girls that were working if they knew where I could find some glitter. They thought only at Disney Springs, and that was out of the question. So they took the ribbon from the balloon and cut it into tiny little pieces like confetti. Also at the time, Disney had these pair of pins where you could keep one and trade the other. They happened to have a Tinkerbell one. So underneath my son's pillow was two Tinkerbell pins, a whole bunch of confetti, and he woke up with a Mickey plushie next to him. He was so thrilled that Tinkerbell took his first tooth. I love that the girls at the front desk went above and beyond to make a milestone event in my child's life a little extra special. It's a short little story. 
Disneyland has always been my family's favorite place to go. Normally, we're a very busy family, but when we get to go through those Disney gates, we get to be a family. This time in particular, it was the year after I had graduated and we were watching the world of color for the first time. I get super emotional over everything, but I look to my side and I can see my dad in the light of the show. His eyes are glossy, but just for the remainder of the show, we had a moment of what Disneyland brings to my family and how it brings us together. And today I will be sharing a story from Marilyn A. In mid-March of 2019, my birth dad, his wife, and my two sisters were coming out to California for spring break. We wanted to meet up somewhere where we could finally meet in person. We had grown very close over the years, and we had chatted online but never actually been able to meet face-to-face because we lived in different states. So I was super excited at the chance to finally get to give them all hugs. My birth dad said he wanted to meet at one of my favorite places, so naturally I suggested Disneyland because it's where all of my best memories took place. Unfortunately, they couldn't afford tickets, so we settled on Downtown Disney instead. When the day finally came, I was super nervous because I had always imagined what would happen in my head and was scared reality wouldn't match up. When I finally got there and found where they had been waiting, the the first thing my birth dad did was wrap me up in a giant hug. My baby sister, who was nine at the time, ran over yelling my name and wrapping as big of a hug as she could manage, just like how I imagined it would happen. We spent the whole day browsing through the stores with me showing them all my favorite things, stopping by Trader Sam's for lunch, and my baby sister talking my ear off the entire time. The entire day was so magical, but the most magical moment came towards the end of the day. Myself and my baby sister had browsed through all the shelves and displays at World of Disney, where she picked out a few little trinkets she wanted to buy, and we had gotten up to the register to pay. The cast member asked where we were from and what brought us to Disney that day. I explained that I was a local and my sister was from added state, and that was our first time we ever had gotten to meet in person. After the cast member had finished ringing up my sister's gift and putting them in a bag, she told us to wait there while she went to go get a couple of buttons. When she came back, she had I'm celebrating buttons and honorary citizen of Disneyland buttons for the both of us, saying it was because we had made all the cast members at that set of the register smile. I was trying to fight back tears, which made it harder by how big my sister was smiling After we said thank you to the cast members and my sister nearly sprinted outside to show the buttons off to the rest of the group who had been waiting outside near the trams for us to finish our shopping. About a month later, after my birth family had gone home, I was FaceTiming my sister. I had to fight back tears again because when she showed me her buttons that she kept on her desk, she kept them there so she can see them every day. I showed her mine on my jewelry box, which I kept there for the same reasons. I had a lot of amazing memories at Disneyland, but none of them will ever top that day or that wonderful magical moment. hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Just Some Magic. It was such a delight to interview a former Imagineer, Brian Collins. So again, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. 
be sure to tune in on Thursday for our next episode where a Disney dad shares his most magical moment with his family. And I'll give you a hint. This magical moment was during the year of a million dreams. So be sure to stay tuned and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have a minute, if you could, please go to Apple Podcasts and write a review. It truly helps this brand new podcast out tremendously. So thank you in advance. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And if you would like to submit your most magical moments, please go to justsummagic.com and click on the Share Your Magic tab. <laughs>